0: So last year the undercut was absolutely massive here in terms of stop first before your competitor, and it gives you an advantage.
1: So oh, box box boxer push on.
0: This undercut could pick Max Verstappen up two places. Mercedes under pressure, and indeed even Ferrari with that. So good
1: move there, from Red Bull. What a great victory for Max Verstappen and Red Bull.
2: Led the 50th race of his career today, takes the 28th victory of his career. Max Verstappen, from 10th on the grid, comes home to win the Hungarian Grand Prix.
0: Hello and welcome to the Undercut Podcast. We're back once again, and this is time to review the Hungarian Grand Prix. And as ever, I'm joined by my able co hosts and guests as well. As ever, I'm joined by Tim albus Daly and Ellie Mae Taylor. How are you both this evening?
3: In a lot of pain from, pain from the Hungarian Grand Prix.
0: Oh, yeah, I thought like you meant a physical pain. Cause... Oh, I
3: am in physical pain too, because I decided to go on a horse riding trek on friday my legs still hurt and my inner thighs are incredibly bruised
1: not too so, bad i mean at least physical and mental pain about everything formula one related yeah yeah i was gonna say this
0: means at least 50 percent of the podcast are physically aching because i did a tough muddy yesterday and i feel like i've just been hit by a bus so i'm glad i'm sitting down for this but at this point and anyway obviously you've heard Timo there and of course we have a guest I'll get around to introducing her she's been on before it is the absolutely wonderful Nabila Tejpa how are you this evening
2: I'm good how are you well clearly you've seen better days but (laughs) thanks for having me
0: my shoulders and forearms are regretting doing an entire 10k Tough Mudder with no training but hey there we go
2: props to you for that that's impressive
0: I think it was the point where I completed one of the obstacles. I think it was the monkey bar one. I got to the other side, looked back and thought, I didn't fall off. Oh. Oh. oh, oh. And my friends are waiting to start. And they're like, you made it. And I was like, apparently I did. Oh, well. <laughs> but anyway, speaking of things that came as a surprise, um, we'll move straight into what the hell has happened and the big news, which is Sebastian Vettel is retiring at the end of the season. Which sort of came out of the blue. Um, bit of a shock, bit of a dampener on Monday when this came out, wasn't it?
3: Yeah, especially when, hadn't he literally just released a statement saying how he was committed to F1 and being with Aston Martin and then literally a week later was like, oh, I'm retiring.
0: Yeah, they, F1 drivers seem to do this a lot. Like they say they're dedicated to their team and then, especially in the case of Fernando Alonso, go, I'm dedicated to sort of going back up to the front of the field, probably joins Aston Martin to replace Sebastian Vettel. It, I don't know. It's just that strange PR thing that potentially Formula 1 drivers don't tell their teams exactly what they're thinking until the very last minute they can get away with it.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, it is a rather strange one, but I, I did find it fun. Like, all of a sudden, everyone's super excited. He has an Instagram account. And then someone points out, oh, that he said he'd only ever get it when he retires. I was like, that's kind of amusing. And then straight away, so. I think people had other hopes for that Instagram account, but it's a nice way of doing it, I'd say. That's a fun way of saying that I'm going to retire from the sport. And and he put a lot of thought into it, which I like.
0: Yeah, they were nice videos. They were really nicely produced, a sort of clear sort of black and white, sort of very simple, almost indie film style sort of production to it. And the fact that he talked about liking chocolate quite a bit throughout the entire thing, I'm like, OK, what are you going to do next? Go work for Lindt, you know? <laughs>
3: Yeah, I just I was hoping Aston Martin were going to be on better form before he left so that we could see a couple more podiums from Seb. It's kind of a sad way for him to end.
0: Yeah, he's sort of gone down the Kimi Raikkonen route of just sort of shuffling into a bit of ubiquity, really.
1: It's going to be the same thing, I think, for, for Fernando with Aston. I don't see, I mean, that Aston Martin Ra in year two of their supposed five year grand plan of getting to the front of the grid and all they've achieved so far is going backwards. And unless this new revolution game changer that they can bring to the rest of the car, I don't see that happening. And Alonso on a multi-year contract, that's two years at least. And to be honest, I'm just, of all the people who could have taken that seat, there were so many more people who, A, either just des- not necessarily even deserved it, because I don't know who deserves that seat in, in a lot of ways, but it just, it, like, here's a perfectly good midfield card that's building momentum forward without, and you swap it for this, which I'm trying to find a nice way of describing it, but I don't have one yet that doesn't involve lots of bleeping for Jesse, I don't want to work for him. So it just kind of baffles and kind of makes you think. He then gets into his seat. It does bugger up the light, Devries, and anyone else who was maybe on in contention for an F one c next year that we're my door. They're so difficult to get. So Alonso essentially taking his young driver test from whenever that was to the next level on on taking the piss out of the whole situation and. If he wants to win again, it seems an odd career path to do that, but should be good for Alpine next year, because famously, whenever he leaves a the team, they start doing well again.
3: I don't know in terms of messing up young drivers, because now him moving to Aston Martin opens up the door for Piastri to Alpine, and then if Latifi does leave to Williams, that, if Latifi leaves Williams, that opens the door up for De Vries. I think that ends up actually working quite nicely.
1: It still messes up Drogovic, though. Potentially have gone to Aston Martin, and Piastri would have gone to Alpine at some point anyway, and arguably should go there next year regardless. So, and De Vries and Williams is almost—I don't want to say surety at this point because knowing our luck, Latifi is going to get contract for another two years now, for the back of this news. Um, but it's kind of there's another F2 champion, or even if it's Sargent. You both have two drivers then who wants to get F two and you can't go to F1 either. So tough luck, but off you off you go. We'll just leave you in the ether somewhere and maybe you get a shot down. There. But if you're Nick if you like Nick DeFreeze, you gotta wait like three years for that, and even then you're not guaranteed it. Alonso's definitely
0: hanging around a little too long. I think that's the thing. He is he going to win a championship? No. Is he essentially? Oh, well, that's- Certainly not at Aston Martin. They've gone been on a fairly downward trend since twenty twenty when they were getting podiums with Perez and Stroll. They've, yeah, he's what he's doing is taking up essentially a sort of F two point five seat before it gets to F four an F one point five seat rather that could be going to as we say sort of Drugovic or potentially Sargent or Jerry even depending on whoever the hell wins F two, which seems to be pretty much anyone's game at this point. But um, we'll get to that in due course. It's just a case of Alonso sticking around for slightly too long. And yeah, multi-year contract, he'll do two years, get his green and go, I think.
3: I think that's why he went with Aston Martin, though, because they Uh, were giving him a multi-year contract, whilst Alpine were probably only going to give him a year. And he knew that he wasn't going to be sort of fighting for titles next year. I guess with Aston Martin, Lawrence Stroll is putting a lot of money into it. I guess that's the reason. Very little results
1: in the way of it, though.
3: Yeah, but I guess that's why Alonso's decided to go with Aston Martin. I think he probably sees that, I guess, you're just taking the risk that with all the money and with all the people that Aston Martin has sort of stolen off of Mercedes and Red Bull and whatnot, that it's going to work.
1: It does seem to be kind of like the desperate last attempt to give a two-time world champion from... This point nearly last century, um, with how closer to the millennium it was than it is to where we are now. And if, if that doesn't work, then it's kind of, which is probably not going to, he's not really proven the thing in these wasted two years of a younger driver who could have maybe helped develop the car better because you're coming to it new with a fresh pair of eyes. Where Alonzo famously doesn't really love cars, he drives them well, but if they're bad, then he doesn't he can get the most out of it to an extent, like he did with McLaren, but he can't really help evolve it any further, do an all right job with it. Whereas we don't know what someone like Droglic or, or Chaygu with it because they're not even getting the chance in the first place.
2: Yeah, I do think there should be a limit on how long drivers can stay in. I mean, I think Alonso is great and it was really cool, like Vettel and that was there. And I know people have left and come back, but I feel like once you leave, you kind of shouldn't be allowed to come back. That way you are always progressing new drivers into the series and kind of continuing it on. But with regards to like Aston, last year they were doing pretty well because it was still the era before. If they've had similar issues to what Mercedes have had, which has also seen them fall from grace pretty quickly this year, um, it's possible that by next year, maybe they'll have fixed their problems. So maybe they know something we don't know.
3: They made up a lot of ground for this race with their new wing they mm-hmm. were They both Lance Stroll and Sebastian Vettel managed to overtake both Alpines because well it's mainly because that hard tyre wasn't working but still that, I think that's still quite a big leap because they weren't fighting Alpine beforehand
1: I think it's something we can only really judge after a few more races because it's kind of as we saw in Hungary last year, you can have a lot of one-hit wonders in one go there, and then it all goes back to what we thought was pretty much the status quo after that. So if they're still doing that consistent, to them we'll happening right now. Before
0: we get sort of too deep into the rest of the goings-on from the weekend and obviously things like Aston Martin's new rear wing, we'll wrap up with Sebastian Vettel. And I've asked each of you to pick your favourite Sebastian Vettel moment. So we'll open up. Timo, your favourite
1: moment from Sebastian Vettel i kind of had a love hate relationship. I didn't mind too much when he came in, but then I wasn't a big fan of him during his Red Bull tenure and kind of slowly warmed to him a little bit after uh, he left and went to Ferrari. But again, there was nothing much there that was out for me. Like, I had nothing against him then at that point, but I didn't really have anything for him either. So I've gone Silverstone up at the British Grand Prix last year, where he's proven that he does have a lot more he wants to do outside of F1 and and a large part of that is the environment and just showing that he's a real boy and he's got feelings and he just wants to look after everyone and it's quite nice to just see that side of drivers. So for me, it's it's kind of a past moment, but a, few, but a moment we've not had yet from him at the same time. So I've gone for a non-track-related moment for the Vettel there. So I hope you get to see more of that, more likely to see more of that than a podium, I think.
0: may your favourite moment from Sebastian Vettel?
3: for his first ever win in 2008 at Monza in the rain. I think it was the first sort of glimpse that we saw that we're like, okay, this this driver's really good. And it kind of foretold sort of what then happened in the future years. And I think that commentary of him on his last lap sort of in the final few corners is one of the best commentary I think we've ever, ever had. And I think it will always sort of remain special to a
0: lot of people I think Monza always provides really good last lap commentary I know the one from Pierre Gasly's win in 2020 is it 2020 well yeah 2020 always sits with me as being like the iconic commentary but 2008 Monza was it was just a bonkers win that came out of nowhere really and again were they still called Minardi at that point or were they had they haven't yet become Toro Rosso had they I think
3: they were because didn't he say it's Toro Rosso, but with Minardi DNA?
0: Yes, yeah, Toro Rosso with Minardi DNA, yeah, that was it. And it, yeah, it's just one of those sort of iconic moments that if you were to try and distill the essence of Formula One, you'd go for something like that sort of underdog coming through and being able to give an a, sort of a stellar performance in machinery that really doesn't justify it. And weird that it's happened twice with uh, Minardi and Monza with a slightly hectic race but there we go Nabila your best set moment
2: so I was a bit like Timo there was nothing that particularly stood out I also loved the Silverstone cleanup but he was never a driver that I looked up to but I think there was like the 2013 Indian Grand Prix where he wrapped up his fourth championship round 16 of the 19 finishing half a minute up the road from Nico Rosberg and Roman Grosjean I mean that is some feat that that is a a large amount of time to be taking out in a f1 race at the time so i think he's had a great career and i'm excited to see what he does outside of his f1 career because i think he has a lot more to offer the world
0: yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what he does next, and whether or not he puts it on Instagram is uh, still up for debate. But we'll it'll be interesting to sort of keep abreast of what Sebastian Vettel does, and if obviously his appearance on Question Time is anything to go by, it'll be mm-hmm. certainly very interesting, <laughs> quite well read and eye opening for sure. Maybe he'll set up a
1: TikTok account and he'll tell us.
0: Unlikely. That's probably a bit of a, a push. I'll say before we wrap up our said moments, my favourite one has to go to 2012 uh, Brazil in a bid for his third World Drivers' Championship. Um, dropped to 22nd place out of a 24 grid. Again, big grids at this point in time. Uh, I think he made contact on uh, the start of the race and to fight his way back up through the rain. He made 31 overtakes in one race. Brazil, again, good racing circuit for making a lot of overtakes over a racing weekend. Um, It was also because of the damage early on, they had to, I think they took a high speed photograph as he went past so he could look at the side pod and see what the damage was. They saw that he would in the crash, it folded the exhaust manifold and was pinching it so he wasn't getting full flow. So they reduced the engine mapping. So he was down on quite a significant amount of power for this entire time, made 31 overtakes one with a bit of an assist from Michael Schumacher, and then uh, came home, I think he came home in fifth or sixth, which was just enough to keep a points difference over Fernando Alonso and uh, take the championship. And it was, again, just one of those slightly hectic moments that Sebastian Vettel just came through against the odds to win it. And occasionally some of his championships, he ran away with them, but some of them he had to fight them down to the wire, and I think that's the sign of a good world champion is one that can take it to the wire and still have just what's needed we saw that with Lewis Hamilton in his first in 2008 when he took it to the very last moment to get his championship in Brazil and again there's just that thing that makes a world champion stand out I think for me and yeah that's my favorite set moment And obviously, we've mentioned Alonso is moving over to replace him at Aston Martin, which opens up a competitive seat at Alpine. We've previously mentioned who we think is going to fill in for him. Obviously, Timo, you put in the notes, Piastri, Drugovic is unlikely to get in there uh, and maybe De Vries, but Williams probably has their fingers on De Vries. I put down Oscar Piastri, it seems to be the obvious thing, he's the Alpine junior, Anyway, your notes say Piastri 100%, Nabila, did you have anything different to chuck into that mix, or is it a fairly sort of broad consensus that it's Piastri, basically?
2: I'm assuming it is, but I, like, will throw something in, for, you know, to be different, but it would be cool to see um Vala get a seat in F1 eventually, and bring out some more diversity, I guess, but I just don't think Alpine was ever an option for that, but Yeah.
1: He does it's everything. One the way that that could happen for Unabila, because um, I, I was thinking if we're going to have Alonso and Rust Martin, if we're using that kind of logic for these kind of city season things, then you have the possibility of Ricardo moves back to Alpine, who said that he's always been welcome there. He then has a car that he knows he can do well in and is proven that it's at least on par with McLaren. And you either then have Gasly go into McLaren, but if he stays there without Potary, then who's been doing some testing for McLaren recently? Derubola. Maybe they decide, we'll stick you in for a season, we'll see what you can do. And if not, then not to IndyCar for you, but at least you had a chance, which is more likely he's going to get with them than he would get with Red Bull at the moment.
2: Yeah, I think that makes sense. But I think also, though, Ricardo leaving, I don't know whether he would get a seat back or not. And Gasly cannot stay at Alpine forever. He has to move on eventually.
3: Do you think they would? I know previously Ocon and Gasly didn't get on. So would they let Gasly into Alpine when they've got a multi-year contract with Ocon? I don't know. It depends. Well, I, d-
1: I didn't say Gasly was going to go to Alpine. I was planning if anywhere if Ricardo went back to Alpine. I might not have been they got mixed up somewhere but
0: a little french flight i can't see if danny rick finishes at mclaren at the end of this season i can't see him opting to go stick around in formula one that's the thing because he knows that he won't be able to get his foot in the door at a competitive team and i don't think that alpine are going to next season i can see mclaren coming back against alpine and again, you'll be stuck in a team that's going to come home P5 or McLaren comes home P4 or P3. I don't think Danny Rick's going to want to pull that. I can see him going into a different sport entirely, well, motorsport but at least. He might not take up golf or something. But that will again open up a second seat. Again, that McLaren seat is like, is a probably a good fit for potentially Gasly to move into. That then opens up the Red Bull linked seat to AlphaTauri, which would be prime for Ayumi Iwasa, or as we said Jihanna Rovala because of course he's got that Red Bull Academy link and he's a quick driver, he's had some great performances over the F2 seasons and he's not doing terribly this year but again it's been weird competition for F2 so it's sort of tricky to keep an average pulse on him but yeah it's I think there's still... I think if Ricardo
1: does leave one then Nabilo and I just have to nick him for Nitro just and we'll take good care of him over there.
0: I can see him probably going to extreme. E, to be fair, I can't see him. He'll go to. Extreme I can't e. see him going extreme. E. I would
1: say IndyCar. Yeah, I was
2: going to say Indy.
1: Because he he'd get on with those vibes, and then he'd see Nitro. Think yeah, looks like fun. And we got the they've got the same shirts that he likes to wear, so it's pretty much a done deal at that point.
0: Yeah, true. IndyCar would I be a good. One
1: forum, although
0: speaking of former red bull drivers going to american motorsports obviously today or yesterday was the first race for daniel kafia over in nascar cups mm. well so uh, there is options but yeah that's a, that's a different point so we'll move on to things a bit more circuit based um has running the ferrari light package um, has turned up with their first round of upgrades it seems and It looks like they just photocopied the Ferrari, but black and white.
3: I think it makes sense for them to copy Ferrari, though. You've got a Ferrari-powered engine. You may as well build your car around it.
0: Yeah, that does make a hell of a lot of sense, to be fair. You've got a certain power unit package in there, and you've got to run cooling that's known to work with it. So, obviously, that's going to influence how you design your side pods, how you design much of your aero to get the air towards your radiators, your intercoolers, so... It makes a huge amount of sense. And again, if you're Haas, you're not going to have the hugest budget for your own independent R&D, but you could probably afford something with a camera and a photocopier.
3: If Haas end up copying Ferrari, doing it so well that they end up being quite competitive, if they get their strategy right, they could be better than Ferrari.
1: I kind of 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 want them to be a (laughs) business point.
0: Yeah, the customer team could overtake. I mean, admittedly, Ferrari's strategy, and it's certainly something that I'll get to when it comes to spinners, which I haven't actually written anything for. But honestly, Ferrari's strategy at the moment could be picked, like when they do they sort of who's going to win the World Cups, so and they basically draw a blue dot and a red dot on an octopus's tank and they see which one the octopus comes to. That seems to be Ferrari's strategy right now. And it's honestly not working for them. And you said this on last week's podcast from the French Grand Prix. We said that when they come to strategies, they seem to have an idea and then immediately go for it. And we said they should probably at least stop and then have a second idea. And this week seems to have been an exact exact case of them having an idea and then just immediately doing it, which was, we need to get to the end of the race. Put the hard tyres on, they'll do it. I'll Alpine running really slowly at the moment. Hard tyres. Ah. Still put them on the car. Why? So... Provided Haas photocopy a really good car, but
1: don't photocopy the strategy notes, they could do all right this season. But I think that's, that's There's the... There's a plot twist, mixture market Mekka decides to have an extension with Haas because they're doing better than It's Like, no, no, no. I can win a World Championship with Haas. Crazier things have almost certainly happened. Although,
0: speaking of technological developments on the Formula One grid, Aston Martin have their new rear wing. I never mentioned it earlier. They've somehow bent the rules, which seems to be a thing that the Silverstone-based outfit do a lot to have end plates on their wing. This is something we moved away from with the new strategy. We have what's called the new beam wing. It has no true end to it. It just curves down. The idea is that all of the wing is one constant radius apart from a certain amount at the top, which is allowed to be vaguely flat. So what they've done is they've put little sort of guttering on it that's constantly curved and sort of has this teardrop shape or what Ted Kravitz called the sofa arm end to it. And it seems to have worked because there were points when the Aston Martin did look quite quick. But again, I think that's just a case of where they were honing the technology. Anyone have any thoughts on potentially basically flexing the rules to the old rules?
2: I mean, if it's going to work, why not? You've got to try and find something that's going to work if you're not having results elsewhere. And it's not a break of the rules, technically, if it's just a bend, right? You can get away with it until someone says something and... I mean, let's face it, Mercedes, Red Bull, they all do it. They will do something until they can get away with it. And if they can't, then they'll say, oh, we're so sorry, we didn't mean to.
3: Regulations are there to be interpreted. So if you can, if other teams haven't thought of it, then that's their problem, really, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, they've only got Williams behind them, they might as well take the risk and... Maybe that is why Alonzo did sign of them because it's like, okay, they not where they want to be, but at least they're taking chances and for some reason, it's enough of a, a win for him to go out on there and risk it because it's one of those things, if they manage to keep doing development and interpretations like that, they'll look like heroes when it actually works. The trouble is it's a massive if, and there could also be a thing of even Know it's a good development for you. If it's a good development that other teams haven't thought of or haven't considered, and it works, they will then look at it and think, "Oh, how can we incorporate that?" And then you could just be graphic you started off with, and you've lost all of this potential advantage you gained. So risky, but a big payoff. But it's a big
0: risk. It is a big risk. But I think this idea of gambling—what could be a sort of risky interpretation of the rules is the case of when they did it with basically photocopying Mercedes front end in 2020, the problem was that put them at the top end of the field, which upset the top end of the field and also annoyed the midfield that they basically leapfrogged. So there was a lot of people that were prepared to complain about it. Whereas at the moment, it doesn't seem to have really impacted their performance any much. And I don't think Williams are really too fussed enough to complain about it. So even if they did, it's a minority complaint, which the FIA just overturns and says, leave them alone. They're shit. And I think the net result is It's a great interpretation of the rules. If it starts to work too much, potentially it will be investigated on account of fairness. But obviously if it's deemed within the rules, tough cookies to anyone else who didn't think of it first, I think, which is, that's the whole point of F1, is you've got to find the way in the rules to make the fastest car that meets that outline. And potentially this falls within the outline. It might or might not be the fastest way of doing so. Speaking of outlines, or at least the sort of lines of the circuit, that's a terrible link, um, Timo had the idea of setting up a drinking game for people saying, Budapest is Monaco without the walls. Um, apparently he's never heard that in over a decade and a half of
1: watching F1, but I'm fairly certain they at least said it once last year.
3: Yeah, they did. I don't
1: recall hearing that last year, to be honest, but even that once, fair enough, I would let you get away with well, with once. Every five bloody minutes to the point where, all right, shut up. I understand and don't try and like find a creative way of saying it differently. Just say it's a tricky track or describe it differently. You've got the whole English language at your disposal. You can you've just got this one sentence. Come on, it's 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 got ridiculous. And also I disagree with the whole thing anyway. I'm like, no. Budapest, you can overtake. And it's the same argument with Monaco, you can overtake there, it just depends on the cars you've got formula e proves that every year okay the layout is ever so slightly different but at the same time they still manage it so i'm, I just I'm in a great mood today as you can all tell but i'm just these little things like just be more creative your sky sports you've got a massive budget get your people who've got you who create all the, the scripts for everyone to think of something a little more creative
2: i didn't even notice it i was obviously asleep <laughs> I, think, I was going to say, I
3: didn't notice it that much for it to be a big deal. I think Timo just needs to let it go.
0: Yeah, I think perhaps Sky Sports just needs to invest in a thesaurus. So they can find new and interesting ways of describing a race circuit. But perhaps that's what we could do. Our first piece of merch could be a motorsport thesaurus. So at least Sky Sports have a different way of describing circuits instead of going, Singapore's like Monaco, but it's hot and damp. It? No, it's not. Just think of something inventive. Um, but you, you did hear at least a few times over the weekend them either going, Oh, it's a sort of it's basically a street, it's an old timey sort of go-kart circuit. It's properly tight, twisty, very narrow. But I don't mind that people are like, oh, it's like Monaco without the walls. It still provides good racing. That's the thing. And I think even the past few times I've been to Hungary, it's given us good racing. And we definitely saw that on the Saturday this year as well. George Russell on pole with an insane lap. No purple sectors, just consistency. He set that entire lap with just green sectors, all personal bests, but none of them purple, which I think is quite an impressive feat.
3: You know the meme of um, Michael Jordan being like, and I took that personally, that's basically me saying oh I don't think Mercedes is going to be well do well in Hungary they're not going to either of them Neither <laughs> of them are
2: going to be on the podium <laughs>
0: Personally.
2: I think it was a long time coming and it was very impressive and I think he's proven that he is where he should be do you know what I mean like he paid his dues being in Williams for an extra amount of times people would like to say but I'm excited to see where that goes and I was very gutted that it didn't continue throughout the race. He tried really hard and I appreciate how well he tried against the Ferrari, but I kind of feel like if he were in the position where Max ended up it would have been better for him and I would have been happier, but yeah.
1: Yeah, I I would have... I'd echo your point. (laughs) If uh, if George better can't, he's he's that can do this and what he can do when he has the car and like you say at some point we get to see that or at the very least next year we should get to see that then yeah as the Mercedes car develops and as they get into next
0: season's sort of specifications that car should solidify a lot better and again it will take the fight to Red Bull and Ferrari a lot more on the regular we will see more George Russell I don't think we've reached peak capability from him either it's not like as I've said previously with Alonso basically reaching peak capability with the car we know he's found the absolute limit of what that car can do already and it's nowhere near his peak performance George has done the same thing he's found the limit of what that car can do and there is more George still to come so it's exciting for 2023 but that's all still to come we'll keep focusing on the weekends racing in Formula One with our winners and spinners Winner's section, we'll start off with Timo, if you could hear him through his vocoder. Internet.
1: Cruel and unnecessary, Jesse Wellington. Cruel and unnecessary. Mercedes are, the, are my winner, though, before you start trying to reply to that. And, yeah, kind of everything what we were saying just now, it's just great to see that step up for both of them. And it's saying that George couldn't convert pole to the win, but it was probably a little bit too ambitious to ask that and would have needed maybe a little bit more craziness to the race for that. Um, But again, fifth podium on the bounce for Lewis, a double podium in as many weeks for the team and only 30 points behind Ferrari now in the Constructors' Championship and you've got to think that with what Ferrari are doing at the moment, it's going to be time and the gap to Red Bull is a little more ambitious and I'm not going to get my hopes up for that but I think second place is is very achievable which after the late races the season like Saudi and Imola, we've probably didn't dare dream that that would be quite that quickly um so that was they're, they're my winners this weekend as well as martin Brundle for for cuteness on the commentary he was i can't remember what bit of commentary it was exactly um but he referenced alex Brundle who was just the commentary for the two and just saying yeah my lad alex was telling me and it just seemed like a very wholesome moment and i like ted Kravitz from france last weekend i just enjoyed that very much so he gets the win in my book that's quite nice. Ellie
0: May you've gone for the rather obvious winner of Max Verstappen.
3: Yeah, I mean, obviously he struggled in Q3 with... I can't remember what that was now.
0: Uh, just complete power failure, really, he just sort of ran out of oomph, I think.
3: Yeah, um, obviously then had to start 10th on the grid. Worked his way up quite well, I think 5th or 6th and then the Queen herself, Hannah Schmitz, just put in a brilliant strategy then, for then Max to then just get the undercut on like what four drivers in front of him, Hamilton um signs, Leclerc, Russell. Um not Leclerc, because he had to overtake Leclerc, but um yeah, he just had a it was just a, such an impressive race between his driving and Red Bull strategy, and it's his first win outside of the top four?
0: Yeah, first win from where he started outside the top four, definitely. It's good to see one of those sort of Red Bullers finally sort of properly challenged drives, and again, one of those sort of displays of might from Red Bull, as opposed to when they start first or second on the grid, just tear away where they've got to sort of properly old-school Red Bull their way through the field and so it sort leads me nicely on into my winners in a way. My first one was Lando for having a fairly decent drive. He took the fight to Alpine and, again, kept them level in points. Obviously, he scored as many points as Alpine were able to net with two drivers. And that seems to be sort of his entire vibe this season has simply been a case of whatever Alpine can do, I can do on my Todd. And, again, it's promising stuff. They just need to get a proper car under him and Lando Norris can really challenge, again, at the top end of the grid once more. Um, but... Yeah, my other winner was snuck in there was, as you mentioned, uh, Hannah Schmitz, the head of Red Bull's strategy team. And, yeah, on the day the Lionesses bring football home, she proves, and I put in brackets here, better than W Series seems to be that women have a place in motorsport and are fucking ace at it. Because, especially when compared to Ferrari, nailed it. She had her entire job down to a T, and it worked. That was the thing. She did it perfectly. And I think it sort of allays any fears that women have no place in sport because when Red Bull were up against it she was able to deliver as good as any other former Red Bull strategist has so yeah that's case and
3: as well at the start of the race they threw their strategy out the window they saw that the softs weren't really working going to the pit and they were like okay then the hards are definitely not going to work and they were going to start on the hards so they're like, right, let's scrap that. We'll start on the softs. And it worked. Yeah,
0: they, they, threw- they threw it all away very early on and said, right, bugger this, we're starting over. And someone either had done their homework prior to it or was very quick to do some homework in the opening phase of the race to get it up and going. And again, you've got to look at Red Bull's strategy team, look at who's leading them, who's directing them, calling the shots and go... That person's got their thinking cap on. They could probably at least lend it to Ferrari once in a while. Uh, Nabila, your winner.
2: Hamilton for me, because it's nice to finally see there's that little bit of like light back in him, and it it had been diminished. Like let's face it, he had a pretty difficult start to this season. I don't think anyone expected Mercedes to come out as he did, deflated from what happened at the end of last year. So it's nice to see him start to take back his stride and get back to where he should. And had Mercedes' strategy been fractionally better, I do think he could have had that win. Like, had they anticipated a a Red Bull's moves. agree. Oh,
0: the win was possibly there. I think yeah. again, it's a big ask, and you've got to pull a really bold strategy that you know is not going to run into any bumps. And I think it was as much as I'd like to have seen Mercedes pull the trigger on that. They're always known for their sort of fairly straightforward down the middle strategies that play it safe and bring home the points.
1: But it, it was interesting I'm more- seeing how far that gap was coming down though on that last lap in particular, mm-hmm. and kind of I mean we'll get to it later, Jesse. It was similar to in Formula Three on on Sunday's future race, and just how suddenly certain drivers were able to bring the tyres alive a bit towards the end and absolutely massive gains on it. And it Lewis probably saying, ah, oh, two more laps, three more laps, and I could have maybe at the very least challenged for it. But uh, as you're saying, it will be very nice to see in the right direction and never seeing so drivers in such a top team be so happy with second and third.
2: Yeah, I think what would have been cool is if they would realize that like you can throw out the rule book once in a while and and push the boat out because had they Mm. thought of something fractionally different or, you know, taken a little bit more chance, they've been far better than they have been in previous years. Like in some races this year, you have seen that they know they've got nothing to lose, but just take that knowing you have nothing to lose and throw a spanner in the works and see if you can pull it off because that win was possible. He was leading for a bit and had they thought about things and made their strategy based on that and thinking about where Max could end up, I think they could have done it, potentially, but they would have had to maybe, have done, maybe, everything would have had to fall into place as well.
1: Maybe Monza will be where it happens with it being crazy races there for the last three years on the bounce and uh, with Frank not being able to capitalise on their own home Grand Prix at this point, then why not back like Mercedes for that one?
3: Yeah, I think teams are starting to realise that they need to, I guess, think a bit more like Red Bull and think on their feet because, I mean, it was quite clear to us sitting on the sofa watching the race that we were like, okay, Max can get the undercut here and the chances are you're probably not going to then be able to overtake him. They should have perhaps uh, pitted... One of the Mercedes early just to try and take that threat away and then Max would have had to have overtaken one at least one of them.
0: Yeah, they could have definitely done something a bit different. But when it comes to sort of, not necessarily from Mercedes point of view, but certainly from Ferrari's point of view when it comes to strategies, I certainly don't think they need to be throwing things to the wind because they can't even get like a straight down the middle strategy sorted there was an interesting moment on the checkered flag podcast the bbc one with jenny Gow. uh she basically collared two fans that were walking through the paddock at one point and asked them what they thought of the race and even trackside they could see the alpines are slower on the hards and they immediately thought what the hell have ferrari done putting them out on the hards and again it's this thing of strategy when you pay attention to the race is quite easy to call as a punter Obviously, there's an added level of technicality if you're actually sitting at the strategy desk when you've got all the numbers in front of you. You can do it a lot more precisely than simply going, hindsight, I know the odd tyres are terrible because I can literally see a different team doing it. Which sort of adds kudos both to what the likes of Hannah Schmidt and Red Bull do, but equally, really makes you wonder what the hell are Ferrari doing if they even can't see what punters can see watching cars come past once every 70 laps or so. You're thinking... Ah, just do better. But yeah, Mercedes definitely had sort of the upper hand when it came to playing sort of sensible strategies, but it'd be nice to see them really sort of push the boat out once in a while and try something a bit unique. Although speaking of teams that could definitely do with pushing the boat out,
1: really giving it some for a weekend.
0: Alpine, who Timo has put down as his spinner.
1: Yeah, might maybe slightly a left-field choice, especially as I decided this before the whole Alonso debacle. Um but I felt like with where they qualified and with the capabilities of both of those drivers in those cars, I don't know why they didn't impose team orders on them a bit because I feel like they could have gotten further grid and potentially, I mean, again, I don't know if maybe they would have got past Mercedes. Maybe they would be asking a bit too much, but they could have, like NVIDIA was saying with Mercedes, thrown the rule book a little bit out there and got themselves maybe one or two positions further up the grid. And I feel like, on Alonso, especially Ocon in this instance, is very reminiscent of Saudi Arabia in the year, fighting each other way more than they needed to. And it's like, fair enough if you're Lewis and Bottas from a couple of years ago, because you're literally the only people who can take each other on. Um, but you're not anywhere near that kind of capability yet. So work together, boys, maybe. And I was thinking afterwards, that's going to be interesting uh, debrief for both of those drivers, but it's probably even more interesting now. Um, but it just kind of felt like, again, you had an opportunity here and you just didn't capitalise on that. And you kind of got lucky that Ricardo got a five-second penalty, which I thought was a little bit harsh considering he boxed up and wasn't really able to do anything about contact with, I think it was Stroll.
3: Um,
1: not because he's not going to do much anyway. Um, and if Ricardo hadn't had that time, but he probably could have got on a fair few more points for them, I think, and maybe made up another position himself. And then the gap in the constructors would not be what it currently is. So Alpine got lucky, I think, in that sense. And that's why people might think immediately, oh, Alpine, why are they spinners? Because like, they, they did good, but it could have been better. And I want to put that Wonder Woman 1984 meme here, please.
0: Thank you. We'll move on to someone else who's already written in their spinners, because I haven't thought of mine yet. Um, Ellie Mae, your spinner
1: is
3: firstly me for believing in Ferrari, <laughs> which then leads me on secondly to Ferrari. I was I had just bought a Ferrari t-shirt and I was going to wear it to the podcast. And I thought, and after that performance, I'm not going to wa- I'm not going to wear it. I'll wear my Formula E top because it was just. They saw how many, well, especially Alpine were struggling on the hards. Everyone could see that the hard tire was not the way to go. Why the hell put Charlotte Leclerc on the hard tire? It just was never gonna work. And then at that point, I think they should have just kept him on the hards because then they pitted him and gifted I can't remember the drivers, but they gifted them positions and he fell sort of, I think it was down two grid slots. When-
1: Checo and Russell were ahead of him, and I think he had to pass Lando as well, which okay, relatively easy, but still have to do that, which is wasting time.
3: Yeah, it was just, I felt so much pain watching that. <laughs>
1: It did feel very much like the beginning of The Chamber of Secrets, where you see Dobby hitting his head repeatedly off the wardrobe, and like, this is just my reaction to priority strategists all the time, and it's going to give me a concussion.
3: But then, to be honest, the softs didn't really work for them either. They weren't really getting anywhere with the softs either. So I think the the strategy on the day was to go soft, medium, medium. I just don't think it worked going medium, medium soft or medium. What did it look like? Medium hard. Medium hard.
1: Medium,
0: soft, medium
3: hard soft. Mm-hmm.
0: Hmm. Yeah, he gave every one of those tire compounds a good trial, and uh, yeah, sort of wasted a lot of time coming in and out of the pits more times than than necessary, especially running those hards. Should have put the wets on. Might as well try that while you're at it. Yeah, I mean, they'd worked quite nicely for Formula 3, but that was different conditions. Um, I was going to say, my spinner would, as usual, be Ferrari, and myself, again, for believing in Ferrari, I'm certain I've had that as my spinner previously, when Ferrari had done something monumentally stupid, which they seem to be doing too regularly for a Ferrari fan. Um, but yeah, my spinner this week, I was going to go for Sergio Perez, who just didn't seem to be on the pace. We'd seen him, he just seemed to have dropped off a bit. Since our post-Silverstone, he hasn't quite been the same. And obviously we saw that brilliant battle he had with Charles Leclerc at the final sort of closing stages of Silverstone, him, Charles, Lewis, going sort of three wide through the sort of final turns of the circuit. Amazing stuff. Then he just sort of wasn't particularly with it through Austria, wasn't particularly with it through France. And then we've had another weekend where he just hasn't really been on the button. He looked like he was getting close to Max. His performance was strong, but he just hasn't been there. So Curious as to what that is. Hopefully, he'll find his form over the summer break and just sort of needs a bit of a a gap to recharge and refresh. But, yeah, for not really showing up, Sergio Perez, you are a spinner, my friend. Nabila?
2: Mine had to be Ferrari, too. Like, there's really no way they can come back from that. But also, I find it funny how, like, at the end interviews, if I were the drivers, I'd be pissed. Like, I would sit there going... We full well know you did everything wrong. Like I'm driving this car, and I could have told you not to put the hards on, but you wouldn't listen to what I said because, in your infinite wisdom, you think you're doing the right thing. But even last week, when Char like Char made that mistake, I don't believe it was fully his mistake. Yet he had to take responsibility for it. I think the drivers are kind of having to just be like, "Oh no, Ferrari's great," but they're not. And I think someone needs to call it out because. There needs to be some. It needs to be some firings and reshufflings in there because if they don't by the end of the year, Ferrari is going to be Ferrari's worst enemy. And if they lose this championship, which let, let's face it, it's quite highly likely at this point, they only have themselves to blame and absolutely no one else.
1: I so feel like Charles is definitely understanding why Vettel starts making his own strategy course in his in the Ferrari and is maybe talking to him a bit now. Thinking, so, just just get a curious, is this, what happened to, oh, oh, oh dear.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, Leclerc should be leading the championship. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, when you look at the mistakes Charles has made, I still don't think France was Charles' mistake. I think so that... Charles in inverted
1: commas there.
0: When you look at Charles' mistakes that have cost him points, the only one you can really put on him at this point is Imola, where he was trying too hard in the final closing stages and chucked it at the ball. All of his other point shortcomings have come from his team not knowing what the hell they're doing running a Formula One team, which you'd assume they know, having started doing this in 1950, you'd assume they know what they're doing at this point. But they don't, and it's, that's the infuriating thing. And again, there is definitely some sort of media stranglehold inside Ferrari that says you cannot talk smack about the team regardless. And it was almost hinted at, I think, potentially in the previous season, not this most recent, the season before of Drive to Survive, the 2020 season, because you see a glimpse of the, so, the media meeting between Charles Seb and their media coordinator, and they're like, so what do you want um. to say about this on social media? And Seb goes, it was f it. they go, well, we can't say that. And you're like, no, why don't you say that? Why don't you admit to being terrible and then do better, as opposed to just continue sort of going, oh, we had a few shortcomings. Yeah, your own pressing strategy. And it's
1: annoying that Charlotte's hamstring. Can't you do much say. need Nikki Lauder from, from when he joined them the first time saying, This is absolute rubbish, and we need to just have this. You'd have more respect for them, at least that way. It's like, OK, put our hands up and say, This is what we've done wrong, and we're really very sorry. But aside from, like you say, Bettel there briefly, but he got chokeholded on that one for, for saying anything, and no one really since then. I don't know if it's because there's are a good, good bit younger or what the motive would be there for them not speaking up about it, but it's kind of like, yeah, likely be the same. Just because your Ferrari doesn't mean you're good. Because, again, the last time you've had a championship or be the kind was 2008, and you can't really be saying that's a good thing.
0: Yeah, it's been 14 years since your last championship. No mm-hmm. one is bold enough to stop up inside Ferrari and say, why aren't we doing better? And I think that's the problem. They're all too afraid of the brand they work for to actually say, no, this is shit. Let's do something else, please.
2: They're um, like... Mattia, Benato, I mean, let's be real, change it. People have been fired from other teams for less. And he's still there. And you look at the last few years and you just sit there and go, but they know what the problem is. They're just not willing to fix it. And also like Enzo Ferrari, could you imagine if he was alive right now?
0: It's spinning in his grave.
2: Exactly. Like he did not build the team for it to be doing what it's doing right now. And it's disappointing because this was the year that they had to finally make that comeback. And they're just putting it down the drain.
0: They came into it with a good chassis, a good power unit, and it just needed a bit of refining here and there to tweak out those throttle problems like we saw several times in a row. We saw them in Austria, we saw them in France, and then even worse in France because it sput Charles into a wall. But again... You watch the, the back, you look at the traces, none of that data suggests that it was Charles getting mid-core and thinking, you know what, F*** floor it. No, that's a flight-by-wire throttle just going, go for it. And like, what, where, where did that come from? And then obviously the throttle pinning open, so he can't even engage reverse to get out of the wall and continue his race. Something suggests that there was a major mechanical or electronic flaw in that car that they simply didn't bother addressing post-Austria and... Yeah, it's a, I'm genuinely surprised after France that Charles Leclerc didn't say anything. And again, after pitiful strategy this week, I'm surprised that neither driver has come forward and said, as a team, we need to be doing better. This is simply unacceptable. And the fact that no one's gone as far to use any sort of strong phrasing is
1: quite surprising. The last point I'll say on it is the fact that Lewis Hamilton, the driver who got left in Himmler, has more podiums than Charles Leclerc does. Yeah,
0: we can't let this be another podcast bashing Ferrari because that's fast becoming a pattern. It It could be, but it's not very fun, although it's good for my mental health because it is just purging. Anyway, it's time for Constructors Countdown. No change at the top of the rankings there for the constructors. We'll go back to our predictions that we made before the race. He says, scrolling down the big spreadsheet to Hungary, where he didn't write them in. Um, he must have a copy of the. I'll, predi- I'll,
1: I'll save you some time, Jesse. We all did. A- no, I don't think all of our crazy predictions were wrong. All of us said the clerk who was going to win and get them out. Ellie May already said that Mercedes took her particular wild prediction personally and decided not to make it come true. And Nabila wasn't here, so she couldn't even make the prediction, so she didn't get anything either. Who got fastest lap?
0: Uh, none of the people Hamilton. we said. Hamilton got fastest lap. Timo, you got a point.
1: Holy moly, I got a point. Never mind, I take it all back. I was right. Um, I mean. Oh, I, don't... I, might, I oh, might come God. back at this, actually.
2: I'm pretty yeah. sure Hamilton was fastest lap. Yeah. 30 yeah, seconds
0: was as well, yeah. Although I will say, Eda was close because she went for Albon Q3, but DNFs, which was sort of a spicy Williams prediction. We did see Latifi top the timing sheets mm-hmm. in all 3 which I genuinely saw it and thought, what? Am I... it, and he that's...
1: was looking very good in Q1. It was only on the very last corner that he out that lap up. Yeah, he just sort of threw it away in the last turn he says
0: shaking a off off of his notes um yeah weird stuff so there we go points for predictions this week just a one point going to Timo by all accounts I will remember to fill this in later you've Coming
1: back. Coming
0: back. still got a long way to come back that puts you on um 10 oh christ no that puts you on 10 that means you're only a point behind Ellie May and myself oh God. dear <laughs> that's not good Uh We'll have to I am the Mercedes on this grid. Oh no, I'm gonna to have to do something about this going into the second half of the season. Anyway. Which one of you for Someone's gonna to have to do something. Anyway, we'll move on from our predictions review, where Timo did quite well to our Fantasy F1 league, which is on a different window on my big computer. My games. Do, 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 do. Should have loaded this up beforehand. Here we go. Right. Who did well this week? I haven't really looked. Oh, here we go. Right, a uh, relatively low-scoring week for pretty much everyone within the league. Everyone was in uh, the hundred points group, apart from Juan from the uh, what was the uh, the states? What's their podcast? Break Check. Break Check. That's it. I don't remember what it was. Uh, yeah, he scored eighty-four, lowest score of the week. But at the top end of the rankings, Jim K, Pastor Jesus's Reawakening, one hundred fifty-five points. Not too bad at all. Um, The question is, what does that make do for the overall standings? Alex H still leads the championship with uh, 69 points ahead of Tejas. Um, I'm still in third place with BRT Yamaha, now ahead of Lottie Talks Cars in fourth, uh, just after her in fifth place is Jaffa Cake Racing. Come on, boys, my other team. Uh, Then at the bottom, Timo, you're no longer last and last. You're... Third last
1: penultimate
0: last, yeah. Oh,
1: take that.
0: Yeah, in fact, you're fast closing down on my girlfriend, which is not a phrase I (laughs) believe.
1: Not a sentence you thought you were going to say today.
0: (laughs) No, uh, yeah, you're fast closing down on her team made up entirely of the tallest people on the grid, but there we go. Uh, Yeah, so kind of a chaotic week for the uh, predictions. So uh, plenty of time to readjust things ahead of Belgium if you're going to be jiggling things around. So that rather sums up, a kind of chaotic Hungarian Grand Prix, which most of the chaos came from off track. I think it's fair to say.
1: Yeah, it's kind of a weird way to go into the summer break, I mean, especially when we've got a triple header straight out of the gates when we come back. So it's, it's. I think what we can take away from it conclusion into the summer break is it is Max Verstappen's championship to lose and very much, if we we're harking it back to what Nabila was saying at the top end of this with the best new vessel, it is very reminiscent of his 2013 season where he will wrap it up. God knows where, Singapore, Japan, maybe at this rate. And it's depressing in some ways, but impressive in others. Max can do that. And it's kind of what he needs after last year to show that it isn't just because of an FIA mistake championship, he can actually then dominate accordingly um, and can afford essentially four DNFs in a row and as a result of that, if Charles won all four of them, he would only then be five points ahead of him in the championship, which is nothing. Um, And that the new regulations, if we want to base it off what we've seen so far, they work brilliantly and they're also terrible because on the one hand that battle for second place is very, very spicy, but also New regulations are terrible because you've got max 80 point lead up in front, and that's kind of the opposite of what these were supposed to do.
0: Yeah, they were supposed to shake up the order a bit, or sort of bring the racing closer together. Which on track, the racing is closer together, but when that translates into a championship fight, it does mean that Max Verstappen is a long way ahead. Quickly, as like an unplanned thing, I'll put it to the lot of you. We say Max Verstappen's going to win this championship. Which race is he wrapping it up at this year?
3: Um, Singapore.
0: Nabila?
3: I'm just hoping he doesn't.
0: <laughs> okay, but if he does, how early do you think he's going to do it? Given the advantage he's got, it's quite likely.
3: Can I change mine? Go on. I'm going to say the Netherlands just because it's his it's, it's home Grand Prix. I know it's so early. Make it more painful I mean,
1: than
0: That's a big call because you're if Charlotte Flair scores no points in Spa and
1: Zandvoort, I don't know if that's enough to wipe him out of championship. But it could... If he doesn't do any in Monza either, though, when he can does it there and gets passed up lap in all three for the extra three points, I'm just saying, I don't want it, but it would be the ultimate middle finger to Ferrari and to Posey because of all the places to wrap it up in. You've done it in their back garden. And with the way that Ferrari are acting, they kind of deserve that kind of punishment. Yeah, I think... Quite very okay. kind of I'd need to run the maths on it, but I think that
0: Max could wrap it up in Monza, which would be a big call. I don't think it's going to be that early. I can see Max doing know. a Grand Slam in America. Closer, he'll wrap up the championship. And the road. Yes, yeah, he'll, it'll be almost treading in his footsteps, which I don't think Hamilton's going to take as sort of bitterly as we assume he will. He'll be—he's quite sort of relaxed about it at this point. So we've gone for uh, Ellie May predicting that he'll dominate as soon as he gets. By the time he gets to Zandvoort, Charles Leclerc will effectively almost lose points at uh, Spa. Timo, you went for Singapore, was that? Or?
1: I said Japan initially, and then referring to Monza, so take either one.
0: Okay, we'll call it Monza because that's quite spicy. I'm going to go for America. Nabila, you're withholding judgment as to whether or not he could even win the championship.
2: Yeah, I'm just, I'm going to throw out then the last race. Let's just say that for some, you know, miraculous thing to happen that all of a sudden it's really close. That's what I'm hoping for. But the likelihood is Texas. Let's be real.
0: Yeah, I think Texas seems like a pretty sound, sound one to go for. So that does actually neatly wrap up uh, our review of the hungarian grand prix for formula one at least keep your eyes peeled for our formula two formula three and w series review episodes which will all be coming out later this week i think my plan for editing and timo hasn't heard this yet is that i'm just going to glue the bits from france into the hungarian one and yeah, make it a, a bit. Because, podcast yeah glue it all together to make a really big one you can listen to it all in your own time keep you entertained over the summer break which is coming up and if you're looking for more Formula One or at least content from the group of us over the summer break you can find us all the way across the internet and indeed in real life um, Timo where can you be found?
1: You can find me over on Is It Fast where I've just got an interview there's a question to check that out I've also got the podcast On The Curbs which new interviews are, and the Nigel RX podcast which there's we've just record a new episode which depending on when you listen to this out and there'll be plenty
0: more good stuff where that comes from which spoilers also features Nabila Nabila as we've always as, as Timo's internet yeah the unofficial Nitro RX podcast they couldn't quite get the officiality to that one um, I'm sure you can be found at other places as well
2: yeah that's correct we actually have a rename we are just Nitro RX podcast now and uh, we can be found on Instagram I can be found on Instagram and TikTok as well, separately of that.
0: Well, yeah, certainly worth going and find out. You're up to some interesting racing bits over. You're Florida-based, aren't you, I think?
2: I am, yeah. yeah. I uh, have some plans to try and get myself back into motorsports, but it won't be in the driving seat.
0: Ooh, spicy. Well, so definitely worth keeping an ear to the ground to find out what she's up to there. Ellie Mae, where can the people find you?
3: At this point, I don't know. I just need this uh, this Hungarian Grand I need a break from it. I need that three week summer break.
1: Physical therapist office, I reckon at this point
3: <laughs> Pretty much, uh, you can find me on the Undercut Podcast Instagram page, where at some point I will write my key takeaways. Sorry, I've just been very busy. Um, and you can find us on TikTok.
0: Excellent stuff. And of course, you can find me if you're looking for things to keep you entertained through the summer break. I'm all across Instagram and Twitter. We've also got the Undercut podcast over on Twitter there. And if you enjoy print media and reading about classic cars, uh, pick up Classic Car Weekly from your local newsagent or supermarkets on all good uh, retailers. I think the latest issue, or at least by the time you read this, will have... I can't remember what the hell I've got coming out in this one. It'll have stuff in it, although if this does go out before the next one comes out, you can read about me driving a V12 Lagonda, so worth doing it for that. Um That wraps up all of our Formula 1 content for the first half of this season, which is weird to say. We've already done a half season.
3: It's a much-needed break.
0: It is certainly a much-needed break. As they always always say on the commentary, oh, it's time for the much-needed summer break. And like, as a Fry fan, it really is. Honestly, just please let me go cry in a corner. Anyway, we'll be back throughout the summer break, actually. We're not taking a break. We have content planned, he says, with a big question mark next to it. So we'll see what that is as it comes out. So uh, don't stray too far from Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Amazon Music or indeed YouTube. Thank you very much for listening and we'll catch you next week.